Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Highly contested. T3 on the track. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Act like radios are off. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Act like radios are off. Hello and welcome to. Highly contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with George and Joe today. George, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Just you know, thankful to be here another day with the boys. Got this podcast going. How you doing, Drew? I'm doing really great as well. There is no better week to be thankful than the week of Thanksgiving. So it is great to be thankful. Joe, are you thankful? Yeah, I'm pretty thankful right now. You know, I had some uh, technical difficulties before the podcast, but hopefully they don't interfere right now. That's what I'm saying, Joe. That's what I'm saying. All right. Some of today's featured topics include. Did the Charlotte Hornets give the right money to the right guy in Gordon Hayward? Did Taysom Hill prove he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL? And what was the biggest reason for the Buccaneers' loss on Monday Night Football? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. Let's start with the NBA. Multiple contracts have been signed by many different NBA players, and one of the most notable contracts has been the Charlotte Hornets signing of Gordon Hayward. Hayward was signed to a 40-year, $120 million contract to bolster the Hornets' starting five. So, George, did the Hornets give the right money to the right guy by signing Jordan by signing Gordon Hayward? Yeah, uh, Real quick, I think you said 40 years, so I, I think it was four years. But, um, yeah, I think this was one of the most interesting moves this offseason in the NBA. So Gordon Hayward turns down a contract from the Celtics, which could have paid him up to $34 million a year, and he ends up signing with the Charlotte Hornets. This raises a different question for me that I might ask you guys later on. But for now, we'll break this down. I think this was one of those moves that doesn't really move the needle for them to contend for a championship, but this definitely makes them a little more competitive during the regular season, which is important for the young core that they've built. They drafted LaMelo Ball. They have Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and if Hayward can be something close to what he was back in his Utah days or even the last three months when he was with the Celtics, then this could be huge for the development of that young core. When I look at Hayward's time with the Celtics, there was a lot of things that went wrong for him. He suffered a lot of injuries. And then when he was ready to come back, that young core in Boston had ascended and took over. It left him in a tough situation, but we were able to see him become a great teammate. He did take a step back. He lowered his role. He went from a number one option to a role player. And going with the Hornets, he gets a chance again to be that number one option. And if he's healthy, then we could see him thrive there and really uh, help that young talent that they got in Charlotte. This is also a small market organization, so it's not like they can attract a big name to come there. But if they're able to show that they're moving in the right direction, then you know, in the future when some of that young talent does develop, maybe they can attract a bigger 
piece and a bigger player in that small market. So for that reason, I do think this was a good move by them because in all honesty, like who else would they be able to attract there? And if he's healthy and he can be somewhat of what we've seen him to be, then I think he'll be able to help them be competitive in the regular season. Uh, Joe, what what are your thoughts on how the Hornets made this decision here, giving Hayward that big contract? Look, the Hornets, they needed a really good playmaker, so they went out and got Gordon Hayward. Even though his best times were in Utah, but with Celtics, he had really he had injuries. Like the his first game with the Celtics, uh, he came out and I think he broke his leg or something like that. But in his career, uh, he averaged, this is including um, the Utah and uh, Boston, he averaged 15.3 points, 41, 45.1 field goal percentage, and a 33.6 three-point percentage. That's pretty good on, all, on account of what he, he has done. And with the Hornets... He won't get outshined by the other by other players like he did in Boston. That's what really, after even with his injuries, that's what really got him. He got outshined by younger players, and Houston they got a they got a playmaker, and I expect great things from him being in it with the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I think they paid him a little too much. His former teammate Jason Tatum just got forty million a year, while Hayward's getting thirty million. But hey, get your bag, man! You worked hard in rehab to get it, and when you're a small market team like the Hornets, you have to go out and make signings like this. But Gordon Hayward most likely won't live up to the contract he was given. He's had an unfortunate injury history that really halted his career. Before his injury, he was 27 years old, averaging 22 points per game, shooting 39.8% from three, and he had 5.4 boards per game. Now, this last year, he had a year close to where he was before his injury, 17.5 points per game, shooting 38.3% from three, and he's actually averaging more rebounds and assists per game. But he is 30 years old, and you would imagine he isn't going to stay in his prime for much longer. I think he would be a good piece to center around the mellow, but it might have been for too much money. Only time will tell. Yeah, I agree. It, it is a lot of money, but he could have got paid more in Boston. Like I said, I think they offered him, was it about $34 million a year? So he took a little bit less going out here to Charlotte. But, you know, I, like I said, I don't think this is, I don't think he's going to be huge for them in, you know, in the long term. But as of for now and the development of that young core that they're trying to establish there, I think he was a solid pickup in a market that really didn't have too many big name free agents. I think that someone like Gordon Hayward, too, who, um, you know, he obviously has a very nice developed shot, you know, He's he's got a great mid-range, great three-point shot. I think it'll I think that someone like him mentoring LaMelo, I think it would I think it would improve LaMelo's uh jump shot and his scoring ability as well. What do you what do you think about that, George? Yeah, uh, I can definitely get behind that statement right there. And you know, we we saw him 
you know, he we saw him in Boston become a really good teammate. He he didn't throw a fit or, you know, make a tantrum or a big scene when he came back and that young talent in Jason Tatum and Brown, you know, were taking over. You know, he could have been one of those superstars that were like, no, I need the ball. I need to get, you know, my shots up. Instead, he took a seat back and he became a really good teammate, facilitated more, let the young talent do what they were doing. And I think now that he goes to, you know, Charlotte, he gets that chance to shine again. And I really do think if he stays healthy, I, I do think he could do that. And that's going to help LaMelo Ball, for example, because he's a huge playmaker. And he does some, like, magical passes that, you know, he, he sees the game a little bit different. So I think we could see some flashes here between those two. Yeah, I think the pick and roll between them two would be pretty good if they decide to go with that. Um, only I don't we don't know what this offense is going to look like, but we, you can imagine that Lamelo will you know be running the point and he'll be you know he'll be doing something with his you know with either his playmaking ability or with his ability to just you know score the basket, score at the basket. So you 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 don't know what he's going to do. I think that. In my opinion, I think that it would be a good idea to have him run some pick and roll with Gordon Hayward because, uh, you know, that gives Gordon Hayward the ability to like do some pick and pop as well. So that's what I'm imagining. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you guys this question. So, you know, Charlotte really hasn't been in the playoffs in recent years. Do you think adding a Gordon Hayward can maybe sneak him into the playoffs? Go ahead, Jordan. Uh, not Jordan, Andrew, and uh, answer it first. I think that he. I think that adding him can definitely bolster their chances for sure. Uh in the East, it's very likely, but we're seeing that you know the East is getting you know a little better. I I think there's a lot of teams I think that are improving themselves in the East, but. It's really like those top like five or six teams that are doing the improvements. So can I see, could I see them, you know, sliding into that spot? I don't know. The Hawks are getting pretty good too. So if they do make it, I, I would imagine it's, it's an eighth seed and nothing better. I, I, I'm more so thinking that they're going to be in contention, but they won't make it. They'll be like that ninth or 10th seed. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with Drew. The highest I could see him going is only the A seed, and and also like what Drew said, that they'll most likely be fighting for it. So we're just gonna have to see how good they actually are, and how well Lamelo Ball and Gordon Hayward play together. We definitely will have to wait and see. We are going to transition to the NFL. The New Orleans Saints played Sunday without their starting quarterback, Drew Brees. Many assumed that Jameis Winston would be the starter, but it was actually Taysom Hill who was given the reins to the offense. The Saints would then beat their division rivals, the Atlanta Falcons, 24-9 behind Hill's performance. So, George, did Taysom Hill prove that he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I I was one of those that did think Jameis Winston was going to get the start over Taysom Hill, but, you know, I was proven wrong on that one. 
And I think this game came more to the Saints defense playing so well. You know, they had eight sacks, two interceptions. And this was a combination of the Falcons not knowing what to expect from uh, Taysom Hill and a bad defense from the Falcons. We see this a lot with players like this. Their first year, they come out, they shock the league because there's not that much film on them. Then the league, you know, catches up to them the next year and we really see them come back down to earth. So, you know, right now we're seeing that with someone like Lamar Jackson. You know, he took the league by storm last year, became the MVP. This year, defenses got to figure him out. Uh, Same thing I see with uh, Taysom Hill. I wouldn't feel too comfortable with him being my franchise quarterback of the future, especially because he is an older quarterback. He's 30 years old. He had a good game throwing for 233 yards. He was 18 of 23. He rushed 10 times for 51 yards and two touchdowns. So I think he'll do fine until Drew Brees can return. But long term, I don't think he's the answer. What are your thoughts, Joe? Honestly, I think I'm probably the only one in our in our podcast group that actually said they should start Taysom Hill. I think I was the only one. Uh, you guys could prove me wrong if I was. If you guys know, but anyways, um, Taysom Hill he did he played really great, really I mean really good on Sunday. But like everyone saw, it was against the Falcons team. They ha- they haven't been uh, good on defense all year, but Hill Hill did a great job controlling that offense and making plays when he had to. Hill is a great backup, and he learned a lot from Breeze being a mentor to Hill. But I would like to see Hill play a much stronger defense, and honestly, that w- would only happen on Week 15 because his next couple games are against defenses that are struggling like like the Broncos and they also play the Falcons again so I'd like to see him how he does against the Chiefs if Breeze isn't health if Breeze is still on the IR by then then that would be a great matchup I'm with you Joe I think we need to see more of him to determine whether he's a starting caliber quarterback he did well but we need to see a little more from him as a passer versus you know him as a as just a runner or a playmaker he didn't need to win them the game throwing the football and that's something that we need to see out of quarterbacks in order for them to prove they can be successful long term at the quarterback position now i'll give him his credit because he definitely deserves it he outplayed matt ryan which deserves which deserves its kudos i know the saints defense is head and shoulders above the falcons defense And, you know, they see Matt Ryan twice a year, every year. But Matt Ryan is also a former MVP, and he isn't having a bad year. So he should be able to outplay a backup. And Hill outplayed the former MVP with a 78% completion of his passes and two rushing touchdowns to go with it. He combined for a total of 284 yards. But more than anything, he was just electric. You could really tell the team was behind him 100%. They... You know, this team was down, uh, this team was down nine to three and then they, and then they just go and score three touchdowns straight because all they needed was one from Taysom Hill from hit for them to just pick up, pick up the speed and get behind him. And I think moral of the story is, I think we need to see more games 
But at the very least, he managed the game the best anyone could, which is all you could ask out of him until Drew Brees comes back from injury. Yeah, I think the Saints defense really helped him out. They stepped up. And that's what they do when Drew Brees is out. I mentioned it when we did talk about Winston uh, possibly starting. Last year, Teddy Bridgewater started and the defense rushed the quarterback more. The coaching staff changed how they played and uh, to take pressure off the quarterback. So lucky for the Saints, like Joe kind of mentioned, they got an easy schedule moving forward. The only tough opponent they have coming up is the Chiefs. So Taysom Hill, he might look good, you know, in those games, but I'm still not convinced that he's going to be the answer long term in a system that is doing their part to help him out. And, you know, that that's no knock on him, but. I think uh, you guys said it too. We just need to see more from him and, you know, better competition. And I think a good question to ask when Drew Brees does come back from his injury is because once he comes back from his injury, we'll have a good enough sample size, in my opinion, of Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback. So I think at that point, you know, a good question to ask would be, you who would you, if you had to choose, like if, if, if this was Drew Brees' last year and he retired after this year, who would you have moving forward as your starting quarterback, Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston? So I think that would be a good question um, to ask after, after once Drew Brees comes back from injury and we've seen enough from Taysom Hill to make a sound analysis of it. Yeah, that would be, definitely be... You know, the probably the question of the offseason, if they decide to keep both, you know, is who will be their quarterback moving forward long term after Drew Brees? Because we see, we've seen the potential of Jameis Winston, you know, when he plays good, he plays great. You know, he, he looks great. And then, you know, there's other games where he throws a lot of interceptions, a lot of turnovers, and he looks like a bottom tier quarterback. So definitely, you know, maybe they chose Jason Tatum or, uh, Taysom Hill because he's been in this offense he might understand it more than a Jameis Winston yeah we'll definitely have to see we're gonna move to a different NFL topic the Los Angeles Rams took on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night this was a close game all the way to the finish with the Rams getting the lead late and holding on to their lead with a game ceiling interception for the victory so George, what was the biggest reason for the Buccaneers' loss on Monday Night Football? I think the biggest reason for this loss has to come back to Tom Brady. Tom Brady struggled this game, and you know I'm giving him most of the blame for that. He threw a couple bad interceptions. He had 48 passes, only 216 yards, and uh, it was a four and a half per attempt. He was also very inaccurate, overthrowing his targets. To me, Tom isn't looking too confident in the system. We've seen him have some bad games on primetime uh, with this team. In the game, in this game, he had a QBR of 55.2, which is not good, especially for Tom Brady, who many regard as the GOAT. Other than uh, the deep ball, or, sorry, this is what Bruce Arians said about uh, Tom Brady after the game. He said, other than the deep ball, I think he's getting confused a few times with the coverages. So when Bruce Arian says that, I'm thinking, you know, Tom Brady doesn't fully understand this playbook or the concepts of this offense. And, you know, 
he was in the same system for 20 years. So it is going to take him some time. But if he's still confused on the plays and where the receivers and all these people are going to go, then yeah, that, that does go back to the quarterback because it's his job to get them the ball. And if he's still not, or if he's still confused about the plays and how they should be, then I think he does deserve some of those, some of that blame. And, you know, Brady went one for nine for 18 yards on passes, 15 or more yards downfield against the Rams. He was 0 of six in throws 20 plus yards in this game. So with all that being said, I do think that Tom Brady deserves most of the blame for that loss. What are your thoughts, Joe? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Tom Brady does deserve most of this blame. But honestly, it is going to be hard for me to say this, but I think Tom Brady has too many options on that offense. It's like it's like the saying, too many choices, so so little time. Then that offensive line isn't the really the greatest offensive line in the NFL. So Tom Brady does have to rush his throw sometimes. But... They, 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 Tom, like you said, um, George Presarian said that uh, Tom Brady's getting confused in the coverages. He's been in this game a long time. He should know what defensive coverages should look like. They haven't changed, in, uh, they haven't changed a lot in the NFL. So if you've seen it one, once you've seen it all, he needs to get better or this this team's not going to have a playoff shot this season or if Drew Brees stays in the stays in the NFL probably not next season either. He needs he needs to step it up. Don't get confused. You ain't Sam Donald, you can't see ghosts. So you you need to you need to know this defense. You need to know the opponent's defense in and out. <sighs> um I'm not I'm not sure if he can get better, Joe. That's the thing. Uh, you you know, you're talking about he needs to get better. I'm not sure he can. It's clear as day. Tom Brady is the biggest reason for the Buccaneers' loss on Monday Night Football. We're just going to tell it how it is. It's his fault. At least 90% of the blame goes to him, if not 100%. They brought him into this offense with these weapons to score more than 24 points in the big games. The defense held Sean McVay's offense, which can be lightning quick on the scoreboard, to just 27 points in 60 minutes. That should get the job done when you're the GOAT. He didn't get the job done. Plain and simple. George, you talked about the primetime games. He's had four of them this season. This Rams game was one of them. It was the Saints game on Sunday Night Football where they just got decimated. The Bears game where Tom Brady, I guess he forgets that it's fourth down, and then the Giants. He is 1-3 and three in those games, the one win coming versus the Giants, who pushed them to the wire and just failed to get the two-point conversion to send it to overtime. In those four games, he averaged 239 yards per game. He has five pass touchdowns and five interceptions in those four games. His passer rating is an average of 73.9, and if you like QBR, then the number you're looking for from a scale from 1 to 100 is 49.9 in those four games. That is less than half. His interceptions were killer yesterday, and he should have had a third interception if Mike Evans doesn't play defense and knock the ball out of the safety's hands. Terrible quarterback play from him yesterday, which makes it at least 90% his fault, in my opinion. 
Yeah, uh, I think it's the opposite, Joe, on that point that you're saying that he's, you know, rushing some of those passes. I think he's holding it a bit longer than he's used to because in this Bruce Arians offense, he needs to throw the ball deep. That's what Bruce wants from him. And we see that because this year he's leading the league in 20 plus yards this season. He's got about 60. And because that's what they're asking him to do uh, a lot more than we also see him getting hit a lot more than he's used to. And we all know quarterbacks, they do not like to get hit. And we saw that that was becoming a factor late game in in that um, Rams game. You know, he was getting hit a lot. He was getting bothered end of that game. He was, you know, seeing ghosts out there. So that really bothered him. And I, I think it's, you know, yeah, it is Tom Brady's fault. Bruce Arians has some blame to go to just because as a coach, you got to understand your personnel. And if, you know, Tom Brady's been, you know, not to say he could never throw the deep ball, but that wasn't, you know, he wasn't always leading the league in deep balls attempted. So you got to understand your personnel and know Tom Brady's strengths and let him play to that. Because when he's playing in his strengths, we've seen him. He, he's arguably one of the best to ever do it. So I think it's a little bit mixed, but I'm still going to put most of that blame on Tom Brady. Yeah. And George, you know, you talked about the, you know, the crazy stat of the day yesterday, which was the, you know, the one for nine, what was it like one for nine? Um, on throws 15 yards or more, and then 0 for 6 on throws 20 yards or more. I mean, what that tells me personally is that tells me that he's having a hard time pushing the ball down the field and getting it to these, to these, you know, big, fast, strong receivers. How, how should, I guess the better question would be, how are you having a problem with getting the ball to these receivers down the field? Unless you yourself are, you know, unless you yourself are struggling you know, we know he's getting older and we saw last year towards the tail end of the year that he was, you know, he was struggling on the Patriots offense too. So, I mean, he's got weapons. It, it could be that, you know, we're finally seeing father time strike him. Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. You know, he's not getting younger and we don't know how that avocado ice cream is going for him anymore. Um but, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's a combination, you know, he, he's not used to throwing the ball that deep that often. And, you know, I think Bruce Arians, you know, he, he's a stubborn coach and he wants to run his offense, which we all knew, you know, with Jameis Winston and other quarterbacks, it's hold the ball, you know, an extra second or two and throw deep, try to get that home run play. And that's never been Tom Brady. Not saying that he couldn't do it, but, you know, in the Bill Belichick, you know, system, it was smart, methodical, you know, slice the defense apart, you know, you know, get seven yards here, get another five yards here versus, you know, trying to get a 20 yard bomb every time. So, you know, I, I think Bruce Arians, you know, he's got to do a better job of understanding his personnel. You know, he's got great receivers and a lot of them could do damage after the catch. So you could easily run some slants or some, you know, those smaller plays and let them do the work because, you know, those three wide receivers they got in Tampa Bay are more than capable of getting that yak. Uh, you know, and I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was noticing that they were trying to attempt to do a lot of these like wide receiver screen plays yesterday and the, the Rams defense was just sniffing it out quickly every time. So I think that 
you know, what you're talking about, these, you know, these, these out routes or these, uh, these slant routes, you know, any, any of these, you know, maybe even these, uh, the, the, um, shoot, um, I'm, I'm blanking, but it's basically the route where they just run straight across the field, you know, and within five yards of the quarterback, Joe, help me out here. A little cross route or what? Yeah. Yes. Cross route. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, you got the personnel to give these, to give these players the ball and get these players, the ball within like the five to 10 yard range and let, let them make plays. So I think you definitely should. I know that Bruce Arians wants to push the ball down the field, but you know, air travel isn't necessarily the greatest air travel. Isn't necessarily the greatest thing in the world. I know that's what he loves to do, but there's a reason why Tom Brady has six Super Bowls. All right, let's just be real. There's a reason why he does. Um, his method has proven to work in the biggest stage. Yeah, his method, along with uh, Bill Belichick's method, you know, I think they were that perfect, that perfect marriage, that perfect couple, and, and I think they're both missing each other right now. To be honest, they're both laying in bed with pictures of each other, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The grass isn't always greener on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to keep it in the NFL. This Thanksgiving is going to feature some exciting matchups, including some division rivals. Our crew here at Highly Contested will give our thoughts on who we think will win and why. So, Joe, we're going to start with you on these ones. We're going to start with uh, what your thoughts are on the first Thanksgiving matchup between the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions. All right, so I know the Lions are always in the Thanksgiving uh, football game and stuff like that, but the Texans are back, man. They played really good football on Sunday, and they're definitely going to win this game against the Lions. You think so, huh? Yes. Depend- depending on some of the injuries the Lions have, I could definitely see the Texans winning this game. Mm. What are your thoughts, George? Yeah, I'm with Joe. I, I think the Texans are going to win this game. You know, I see Deshaun Watson. He's I, I see Deshaun Watson being able to carve up that Lions defense and getting that dub. Deshaun Watson recorded his fifth 300-yard performance of the season last Sunday. He threw for 334 yards, a pair of touchdowns against the Patriots. Uh, Watson has been scoring in every game this year and has five straight games without an interception. So I'm really seeing him, you know, build that chemistry with, you know, Brandon Cooks. And he's starting to get in the groove, you know, again after losing DeAndre Hopkins. So now that he's in his groove, I definitely see him continuing it and getting in that uh, dub on Thanksgiving. Yeah. The tech, the, the Texans are looking better. I think they really are, and it seems like the Detroit Lions they're they're not they they look like they're regressing. You know what I mean? Uh, they looked pretty good. To, I mean, I'm not gonna say they look good or great, but they look pr- eh, pretty good to start off the year. But I feel I feel like they've regressed since then. And you know, I mean, you could just you could just look. I mean, the the best the best players on these respective teams are the quarterbacks. And so, you know, let's just look at the quarterback numbers. I mean, Deshaun Watson, he's got 2,883 yards, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. But Matthew Stafford is not doing as well. He's got 2,581 yards. So he's got 300 yards less, 
three touchdowns less with only 17 touchdowns, and he's got two more interceptions. So it's clear to me that Watson this year has been outplaying Matthew Stafford. So I think that that's going to be the story of this game uh, once, once the clock strikes zero. All right, Joe, what about the game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team? All right, so I'm going to have to say the Washington football team is going to win this game due to the fact the Cowboys didn't win last week, but that's only because the Vikings defense only got to the quarterback four times in that entire game. So, And this Washington defense is way better than those Viking defense. So... I think the defense is going to win this game for the uh, for the Washington football team. What about you, George? What do you think? Yeah, I think we're headed for another suck fest on this Thanksgiving matchup. But I have the Cowboys winning this one. You know, I think Andy Dalton, he's back. He's going to be able to stack up another win on top of their last week. You know, where he threw for 203 yards, three touchdowns. He had, he did have one interception last week against Minnesota. But, you know, that was his 25th career game with three-plus touchdown passes. Don has eight touchdowns and no interceptions for a 107 rating in his past four starting games on Thursday night. For that reason, Don has completed 74 of... 117 passes for 654 yards and four touchdowns. So I think that, you know, that Cowboys offense does still have weapons. I think Andy Dawn will be able to, you know, still make something happen, even though the, like Joe said, the Washington football team does have a better defense, but you know, that offense is still explosive. And I think they're going to be able to get that dub on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, George. I think the Cowboys can get this win. I think that they will get the win. The Washington football team, no, no knock on them. They, they're, I think they're improving more and more. I think Ron Rivera is doing a great job so far uh, in his first year, You know, despite everything pretty much going against him. But this, you know, this, this Dallas team, the defense finally looked like it was the defense that I kind of expected, which is not like not a great defense, but certainly not the historically bad defense that we were seeing from them. So I'm going to give the Cowboys the edge on this one. It's not, it's definitely not a big edge, but I'm going to give them the edge on this one. Yeah. Do you guys think it's going to be another suck fest or uh, what should I be in store for? I say uh, probably be, uh, I say about uh, it's gonna be a good game, not not necessarily a suck fest, but it'll it'll be a pretty good game. I think it's gonna be a good game if you're, you know, a fan of these two teams because you know it's gonna be a nail biter. I think towards the end, but um, you know, if you're if you're someone who isn't a fan of either of these teams and you're someone who's kind of looking at the NFC East and just kind of laughing at them, well, then you're probably not gonna you're not gonna enjoy this game. Yeah, we got to remember that these two teams are still fighting for first in their division. So, which is pretty pretty sad because, you know, let's say let's say one of these teams do does make it. I mean, we'll say we'll we'll say it's the Washington football team uh if cuz cuz our man here Joe, he's pretty good at predicting. So, we'll say it is the Washington football team. 
Well, then, I mean, they're going to play what an NFC West team, which is, you know, a Seahawks, the Rams, Cardinals, or they might play the Buccaneers. I mean, they're, they're not winning any of those games. Let's just be real. Yeah, that that's true. But one team out of that division has got to make it to the playoffs. <laughs> yep, just one team. That's it. Because I don't want to see two teams from that division. Just <laughs> one. I don't think anybody does, Joe. <laughs> All right. What do you guys think about the exciting rematch between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thanksgiving? Joe. I'm going to have to go with the Steelers again. The Steelers are playing good football, and the Ravens on offense are not playing good at all. Plus, they got I think they got like two running backs on COVID right now, and I think Gus Edwards is only the one that has been cleared. So there's been a lot of COVID going around that team, but the Steelers are the strongest out of these two teams, and they're definitely going to go undefeated. Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. I, I see the Steelers winning this game and remaining undefeated. We've seen the Ravens fold under the biggest games, the brightest lights, and I don't really see that switching or changing here on Thanksgiving. The Steelers are rolling this season, firing on all cylinders, and I see it continuing. They'll be able to stuff Lamar Jackson and feast on them on Thanksgiving. Steelers have become the 17th team in the Super Bowl era to start the season with you know being 10-0. And having 10 consecutive wins. So I don't see it changing. I think they're going to win this game, stay undefeated. What are your thoughts, Andrew? I, I say the Steelers remain undefeated. I think that Baltimore is going to, I think this is going to be a lot closer than people are thinking, though. I feel like people are really counting out the Ravens. And I think this is going to be a lot closer than people are thinking because, I mean, let's, let's keep in mind that, you know, the Ravens made it a really close game the last time too. I mean, I I'm just saying, let's not be I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens pull this one out and make and give the Steelers their first loss of the season. But I'm going with the Steelers. That's a pretty big thing what you said, Drew, about you wouldn't be surprised that the Ravens get the dub on this one. I, I wouldn't. I'm not gonna lie. I really wouldn't. Uh but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys this, all right? So if the Steelers do get this dub, okay, I'm going to tell you the rest of their schedule right now, okay? They got the Washington football team. They got the Buffalo Bills. They got the Cincinnati Bengals. They got the Indianapolis Colts and then the Cleveland Browns. Is it possible that they go 16-0? I say all of those are winnable games except the Colts because the Colts have a really good defense as well. So this might be a very defensive game with the Colts. So that one would be kind of like up, up and down with me. But other than that, all, all of them are winnable games except the Colts. That's that's one I got to really think about on that one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they got a chance to go 16-0. and uh, Like Joe said, those are all winnable games. I don't see any of those other teams being huge favorites to upset. You know, obviously, you know, Every team has their chance, and, you know, I think there's two teams that really have a chance to maybe stun them, and, you know, one of them would be the Colts and the other probably the Bills, but I still see the Steelers being able to uh, go undefeated. My question on top of that question is, do you think it'd be good for them to go undefeated? Because we saw the Patriots a while back. They went undefeated and then lost in the Super Bowl. Do you think that's 
pressure in itself if you're able to be undefeated make the Super Bowl do you think that adds a different type of pressure that's worth being undefeated you know we almost saw the same thing with the Warriors in basketball when they had that incredible run and then lost in the finals do you think that being undefeated will add more pressure to them oh yeah it'll definitely add a way tons of more pressure than what it just usually is because everyone's going to be gunning for you in in the playoff bracket. Everyone, and and plus you have that first round bye too, and that that could sometimes be a good and bad thing for the teams. So that would be one thing to look for. That would be like the that would be the X factor. How good will they be after that uh, by uh, that um that the bye game? You know, I'm thinking that it. I mean, I think that players or teams are going to definitely want to go after them. But I feel like if I was a player and my team is undefeated and they're, and we're in the playoffs, I feel like that would motivate me. I feel like that would be like, okay, like I, I want to get that record. Like I want to go for it. You know what I mean? I want to get, I want to get that undefeated. Cause at that point, you know, they would go what 16 and 0. So they would, um, they would have, they would go 19 and 0 because they would play they would play three playoff games because they get a first round bye. So, it, you know, if they do if they if you do go 16 and 0 and you have a chance to, you know, break that record and go 19 and 0 cuz no one's ever gone 19 and 0. The record has only been 17 and 0 by the Dolphins. So, I would I would be excited and I would want to go after that record. But okay, I'm going to ask you the, uh, another question. Um, do you think that Mike Tomlin would want to go for that record? Because the let's say the their last uh, regular season game, if they already clinched playoffs, already clinched that first round bye, do you think he'll sit out his starters and start his and start the the backups, or does he go for that record and start his starters? I think Mike Tomlin is smarter than that. And so that was kind of like the one thing I was going to say this because, but then you guys, you know, uh, started, then George, you started asking, you started asking that great question about going undefeated. Um, I think that if, if there's any, if there's any chance where the Steelers don't go 16 and 0, it's going to be that last game versus the Browns because the Browns are going to be fighting for a higher playoff spot. And the Steelers at that point would be 15 and 0 if they if they do remain undefeated so i would imagine that they're probably going to rest their players and the reason why i think it would be better for them to rest their players versus the ravens resting their players last year because we you know like that was a big question mark was should the ravens have rested their players week 17 and i think it'll be better because i you know i look at mike tomlin and i think that he's a great coach all around mike tomlin's going to have that team ready for whatever team they face when they come out of that bye yeah uh, i agree with pretty much what andrew said there you know mike tomlin he's a smart guy but even if he does rest people i still think that he's able to win that game we saw him last year with what third string fourth string quarterback and he still went eight and eight so i don't even think it matters who's on the field for mike tomlin i i still have faith that he's capable of winning a game especially you know we've seen Baker Mayfield have his ups and downs. So if he has one of those poor performances, high turnovers, 
I mean, I, I could still see the Steelers winning that. And uh, back to kind of what you said, Andrew, about wanting to go undefeated to be that first team. You know, the Warriors wanted to do that. I'm sure Tom Brady wanted to do that also. And, you know, I, I it didn't work out for him. You know, I think it adds that different pressure that, I mean, if let's say they do lose that last game to the Browns, you know, at least then that pressure's off of you. And you're not like, oh, my God, we got to be undefeated. We got to be the first. Takes that pressure off you and, you know, might lead to more success and getting another championship. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to see. I think my I think the only counter argument I would basically give to that is the Warriors, they had to play. They had to play um, over. They had to play over 100 games. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from football because po- football is a is a tough sport and it's tough on your body. But you know, I think that just the length of time that the Warriors had to play overall to get to that spot. I mean, they were going hard from October all the way to June of the following year, and that's a long time to be going hard nonstop to get that record. So I that would be my counter argument with that. But, um, I, I mean, we'll just have to see. It, it might not even this – Steelers, this Steelers team goes how Mike Tomlin goes, and it might not even be worth it in his eyes to go undefeated. Yeah, I mean, I guess – I mean, we both agree that Mike Tomlin is that smart, and he might rest people. Probably be the right decision to make. Yeah, and we'll just have to see. Yeah. Well, that's uh, hold on. Uh, well, before we sign off, Drew, just want to tell all the listeners that take the time to listen to our podcast and made it this far. You know, wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone's doing safe in this, you know, weird year of 2020. You know, wishing everyone's family's health and a great rest of this year moving forward. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Agreed. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us here. I highly contested. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We are going to post a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one. Highly contested. Highly contested.